she hasn't done anything wrong yet. But the other two, sometimes I have to get onto them. And uh, you know what? It sounds really simple. Two kids with different names. And yet I can't even call the right kid by the right name. She's got two kids. And I feel for you, Richard. Uh, it must be going crazy. Go down the line before the, you finally get the attention of that one kid. And so just one task that I have to call each kid by their own name, and I can't do it. Uh, and so um, that just tells us, uh, imagine having even more and more kids, how quickly we reach our limitations with some things and, and our ability to handle more than one thing. But that just goes to show us that how great our God is because he is able to call every single one of us by our name. He knows our names and he doesn't get us all mixed up with somebody else. Not only does he know our names, but the Bible says he knows the number of hairs upon each of our heads. And not just you and me, but everyone in this building and everyone in the entire world, God knows all 7 billion plus people's names, and he knows their, the number of hairs on their heads. And to go even further, he knows every single thought. Every thought that goes through our minds and imaginations, God accounts and he, he reads all those things. He knows those things. And then it goes, studies have shown that, uh, you know, trying to track thought count. I don't know how they do it, but, you know, they said males maybe about 10,000 thoughts uh, 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 a day, and that seems already like a lot. I may be in a lower pool of that. But, uh, but they said, uh, this is what they said. They said females can have upwards of 50,000 thoughts a day. Uh, and so that's, that says something in itself. You know, I don't know what it says, but it says something. But God knows each of our thoughts. And so sometimes he has to work harder for others. That's, you know, more grace towards others. But uh, he knows each and every one of our thoughts because he, he said in Noah's days that uh, all of mankind, uh, the imaginations of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. That way God scanned the earth and all the population and uh, they're just all negative thoughts. And so God is able to do all things and know all things. And for that he deserves praise and glory, doesn't it? Because he is the almighty God and uh, he can do and know all of that. Don't think for one second that God does not know where we are at, where, where you are at, or that he has forgotten about you. Uh, he knows the way that we take. He knows what we're dealing with right now. He knows about our struggle and what it's been. He, he hears our prayers because that is how great our God is. And he cannot be, we cannot comprehend the greatness of God, but he is great. Amen. We struggle with a few things, but God does everything and all things well. And, and that is just a glimpse of what we are trying to put together and trying to understand of how great our God is. And so we can barely even keep up with our own thoughts, but can you imagine what God thinks about you and your situation and your struggle and your circumstance? 
We see in Jeremiah, it says, For I know the thoughts that I have towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, and to give you an expected end. Uh, uh, another translation says, I, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and to not harm you, and plans to give you a hope and a future. Uh, that's what I like to hear about God, his thoughts towards me. I have my own thoughts about situations, but I want to know what God's thinking. I want to know what his thoughts are towards me, and when he sees me, and when he sees me struggling, what are his thoughts towards me? And the Bible says he has thoughts and plans for us to prosper and have a plan of, of hope and a future. That gives me hope. That strengthens my faith that God, God sees me and he wants good things for me. He wants things to work out for me. And, and so that's, now is not one of the times where we pull out the one thing question. No, God, I, I just don't want one thing. I want all those things that you have for me. Just give them all. Open up the windows of heaven and pour all those things out of my life. Amen. And now it's not the time to say just one thing, Lord, but give them all to me. Amen. Amen. And so just look what Joshua said in his farewell speech to Israel's leaders, Joshua 23. And behold, uh, this day I am going the way of the earth. And you know in all your hearts and all your souls that not one thing, not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. Uh, and so of all, all things are, are come to pass unto you, and not one thing, not a single thing has failed from God. Every promise that God ever made to Israel came to pass. Every prophecy that ever was spoken has been or will be fulfilled. And if God did it for them, he can do it for you. He can do it for you. Not one thing will fail when it comes to the word of God. And I'm thankful that we can depend and stand upon that because uh, Isaiah says, so shall my word go forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please and it prosper in the thing whether to I sin. That to me sounds like not one single thing will fail when God speaks. Not one thing will fail. Whatever God has spoken to you, it's going to happen. Whatever promise God has made, not one thing of those details is going to fail because the word of God does not fail. Aren't you thankful we have something that we can stand upon that's been tried and true and tested, that we know that man's words fails and our, our plans fail, but if I can find it in the word of God, I can stand upon it and it's going to come to pass. Amen? Amen. And so um, I know it's going to be all right because God has been faithful in the past. Now one thing has failed from him in the past, and so uh, that's why we come and magnify the Lord and exalt his name because we know that God can do all things, and he knows all things and can do all things, and in all of that, not a single thing can fail when God is involved. Amen? And so of all the characteristics and attributes of God, of all the verses and promises and prophecies 
if there is one thing that I, I strive for, is there, is there one thing that we can seek after? Is there just one thing? I mean, there's a, there's, a, there's a book full of things to pursue after in the Word of God and to seek after. But is there just one thing that we can strive for? Is there one thing that if I seek after, I can, uh, uh, again, do all the rest that I need to do? Uh, did G Jesus did this. He said this in Matthew 6 when he was talking about all of our earthly needs. Uh, more specifically, he said how Gentiles worry about this and they worry about that and food and raiment. And, but what did Jesus say in Matthew 6.33? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. There's so many things to be worried about, but Jesus says, hey, I'm going to make it simple for you. I'll boil it all down. If you just seek after this one thing and one thing first, I'll worry about the rest. And so if we seek the kingdom of God first and in pursuit of that, everything else is going to work out. Doesn't that make it easy? Doesn't it make it, it just sound so simple, but yet why is it so hard to follow through and to actually do that in our lives? If we put God first, God will take care of the rest. Uh, and so have we put God first in our life? First in our home? First in our finances? Have, have you found it to be true too that God will take care of you if you put him first? That he'll meet your needs, that he'll send blessings your way. All of a sudden these random or coincidental things start happening in your life. And, and why? Because you start putting God first, seeking the kingdom first, and God says, hey, I'll worry about everything else. Uh, well, you, got, you, you just happen to get a raise or you just happen to get that position. When you know others are more qualified to get it, you get a, a, a random check in the mail or, or your meal gets paid for. I'm here to tell you that things like that are more random, are not a random coincidence, but it's God stepping in and saying, hey, I'm here to take care of you. I'm here to provide for you. I'm here to make a way. I'm going to open a door uh, because you are seeking me first in my kingdom. Man, and so I'll take care of the rest. And so our text we read speaks about a one thing again, Matthew 13 the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, which when a man hath found it, he hideth, and, hide, and for joy goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth up that field. And so this man found just one thing. He found just one thing, and what were the implications of finding that one thing? He went back home. And he sold everything that he had, and he went and he bought the field. That, that one thing must have been really valuable. You lay eyes on that, you get a hold of that thing, and you immediately know that everything that I have in my life and at home or whatever, whatever possessions, I know that this one thing is worth more than all of those things. That's why it was easy for him to go home and have that conversation with his wife. Hey, we're selling everything. Or we're going to go buy a field and, and get a tent and get close to God in nature. He found something in that field, that, that treasure, 
It was really valuable. And so uh, it, it doesn't tell us how big this piece of land was, does it? It, it, it doesn't really matter, does it? Because the lot was not the thing that he was after. He was after the, the treasure that was buried inside that lot. And, and don't think that this man is crazy because uh, every single one of us would probably do the same thing. If you're out taking the pastor's advice and getting out in nature and trying to get close to God, out in the woods somewhere trespassing on somebody else's land, and you're, you're walking through the, there, and you trip and you fall to the ground, and you look and you see what caused you to fall, and it was just this treasure chest. And it was filled with Spanish gold coins from when Ponce de Leon was here 500 years ago. It's possible, right? It's possible. He was here, and they had gold. So go out. Get close to God out in nature over there, you know, the peninsula area over there. And, and so you're going to tell me with a straight face that you wouldn't go home and start selling stuff on eBay. You wouldn't go home and have a, a garage sale every single day until you have nothing left. Why? Because you found one thing that's more valuable than everything that you own and you know it's more valuable and you don't care what the cost is but you're going to go back and you're going to buy that piece of land where that treasure was buried and so the cost and the sacrifice and the, the price that you have to pay is not even worthy to be compared to what's waiting for you in that treasure. You're, you're not going to have buyer's remorse, are you? Uh, I can't believe I sold my house and my car and everything I had for this treasure of $20 billion in coins. I can't believe I did that. What was I thinking? I wish I had my old car back. And so my question is, is that how we view this one thing, the apostolic truth, the truth of God? That has been passed down from generation to generation. Is it not worth more than what you had to pay? Uh, aren't you glad that you listened to that friend or that family member or that coworker that said, hey, why don't you come with me to church? And you came to the field and you realized you grabbed a hold of something. You felt something here that you really never felt before. And so I'll pay whatever the cost is to get back here to this place, to get back into the presence of God like this. And so if I have to drive an hour to get here, it's, it's worth it. If I have to drive two hours, it's worth it. If Sunday is the earliest day that I get up, well, it, to me it's worth it. Because there's something here that is worth more than all that I own put together, and I want to be sure that I have it, that I get a taste of it, that I get to experience all that God has for me. And whatever the cost is, you're not going to have buyer's remorse when it comes to God. And so what is buried in this field is not something that man has put together or concocted, but what here in this field, it, it's something supernatural. It's, it's indescribable. It's like unlike anything else, and it's worth whatever I have to give to get here. 
and obeying the gospel and repenting of your sins and being baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost, that begins to open up a door to a world and a life that you never begin to understand the possibilities. It's a small price to pay to get access to one thing. And maybe you're like me. You wish you had bought the field many, many years ago. The only buyer's remorse that I have is that I didn't buy it years ago, many years before that I did. Uh, and so if I could go back in time and change one thing, I would say to my young, dumb self, quit wasting your time and your energy and your money on worthless things and go and buy the field and go and buy the one thing that is more precious than anything you ever find in your vain pursuits and that is the spirit of God in your life and being a part of the church and the body of Christ, that one thing is worth more than all of that. And so you found the truth, you saw the value in it and you bought the field and, and so now what? So I, I realize that I am speaking to a crowd of field owners. And, and so where do we go from here? What's that, that one thing? That one thing. What's next? Because I, I got the one thing, right? Is there a next one thing? Now that I've obeyed the gospel, what, what's next? Is there one more thing to pursue? Or do we just kind of stand out in our field and until Jesus returns or we die, whatever comes first, or uh, holding up our sign as we're a proud field owner? There's got to be more than that, right? There's got to be more. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I am a proud field owner, and I, I'm never selling this field, because. But, but there aren't any more treasure hunts that go on, right? Are there? Is there one thing that I can go after that will change me like this field has changed me? Is there one more thing out there that can arrest my attention to the point that I don't care what the cost is, that I'll pay it. We did that for the truth, apostolic doctrine and truth. We did that. But is there anything else to pursue after? Is there another thing that I can arrest me like this gospel has? Uh, is, is being a member of the Field Owners Association the end of all? Is that the end? Or is that just the beginning? There are those who obey Acts 2.38 and, and check the box and just occupy their time until Jesus comes. And then there are those who are yearning for more. Yearning for more, yearning for more pursuit, for more of a hunt, for, for, for that one more thing that, that I can chase after and seek after. But I'm, I'm here to tell you what that one thing is. The pursuit of all pursuits. The hunt of all hunts, the treasure of all treasures, is the face of God. The face of God. Seeking the face of God is that one thing that will change your life forevermore. Uh, it may be a disappointment to some hearing what 
uh, I think, is the one thing. Uh, but seeking the face of God will change your life today and tomorrow. And if you get up the next day and say, hey, I'm going to seek the face of God, that's going to change your life as well. Why? Because God is never ending. He's always active. He's always moving. And he's not stationary. He doesn't stand in one place all the time. And so when God moves, we should be seeking where God, where are you and where is your face? You see, a field has an address. It's stationary. It's an immovable tract of land. And once you've found it, you've found it. But the face of God has no address. There's no treasure map that says X marks the spot where the face of God is. And, and so the face of God is the one thing that will keep you moving and keep you yearning to find him and to be with him as so long as that is your one thing to pursue after, just like seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added. I'm here to tell you that if you seek the face of God, God's really going to make sure everything's working out in your life. And he'll change your life. It'll change the way you act, you breathe, uh, your, your actions. Everything you do about you will change if you are actively seeking the face of God. Because anybody here, anybody here ever read uh, a book in school by the name uh, the author's name was Homer. Anybody re recall any uh, recollection there? He's an old man. He wrote two books that I know of, uh, the Iliad and the Odyssey. And so you got to be real careful reading these books because they're like 3,000 years old. So you got to be careful. Uh, and so in his two books, they are based on Greek mythology and Homer tells of the Trojan War. And a war that lasted 10 years. And what started this war was the prince of Troy abducted the queen of Sparta. Her name was Helen. And because she was so beautiful, I guess. And, and so the saying goes, Helen had the face that launched a thousand ships. Thousands and thousands of men fought and died for a decade, all for a face. If men are willing to do that for the face of Helen, what should we be willing to do for the face of God? To what extent would we be willing to go to catch a glimpse of his face? How far would we be willing to travel in order to catch a glimpse of his face? Because the face of God is everything. The face is everything. It's, it's the focal point of our being. It's what every human being looks to is our face. It speaks more than words. Even the slightest movement can send a message that words cannot send. They say that 70% of communication is nonverbal. That means a person's face can send a message without them even saying anything. We all know this. We read the messages. Just raising an eyebrow sends a message. 
Got it. Don't need to do that again. Winking an eye sends a message. Just having a smile on your face can send a message to somebody. And so how many uh, know that the, the message your parents' face sent you when you were a kid? Especially if you grew up in the church pews. And you just so happened, you were having so much fun, you just happened to turn over and you catch a glimpse of your parents. You saw their face. And you got the message that they're staring back at you, and that message hit your soul. No words needed to be said, um, and you'd be getting a hit later on. And so my girls know that look too, because I stare at them too. They're out running around here, and I'm just watching them like a vulture. And when we connect, we, our eyes connect, they stop, don't they? Until my face turns away, and then they go. But the face is the focal point of any relationship. Without the face, you're missing 70% of the message. And how do we talk to people? We, we get close to them. Because we want to be close enough where we see their eyes, look at their eyes and their face, and we talk. And so there's a lot that is missed when you don't see a face. You ever got a text message and you read it and it just, whoo, it stirs you up? You think it's saying one thing, come to find out it's not saying that message at all. Why? You didn't get a face with that, right? Send a face message, please. I need to clarify Clarify your message, please, because your the words in the text doesn't does not sound friendly. Uh, and so, uh, when you speak to that person in real person, real life, uh, they didn't mean it in that manner, that tone. It's just completely different because you're missing seventy percent of the message without a face. Uh, a face will add the rest of the message. And so, uh, imagine me, imagine me preaching. But imagine me preaching like this the whole time. I mean, that's what, we're missing all kinds of stuff. I don't know how, hopefully the back of my head looks okay. But then we, we come and we talk to people and we, we, we look at the face because it's the, the focal point of that. Uh, imagine me having a, a conversation with uh, Brother Andy right here, uh, but me just never looking at him. You know, something's missing. Something's missing here, brother. Can you see what I'm see what I'm trying to say here? You can't see me. So we need to see the face, don't we? It completes everything. And so um, uh, I can't really have a a a, a great conversation with with brother Khan way in the back. Uh, I mean, we're we're not that close where we can read facial gestures and and, and see uh, that uh, we can we can yell and scream to one another. We can't really make out our facial expressions too well, but yet we're in the same room. I'm in the presence of Brother Khan, but yet we're far enough away where we're missing communication. Until I get close to him and see his face, a lot is missed between here and, and back there. And, and so what else, what else is God saying? We have his word and, and we can read it, 
It says one thing, but what is his face saying? What other messages are picked up when we see his face? We come in here and, and we can worship and, and we feel the presence of God and, and we know that he's here and, and we, uh, we have, but have we sought after his face? Have we got close enough to God that we can read the message that he's sending from his face? And so what if, what if today during service, uh, Jesus shows up, we know he's here, but what if he just says, well, today I'm just going to go and I'm going to stand right here. We're all in the presence of Jesus. But I wonder what Jesus is saying. I wonder if there's anybody who wants to seek my face and will do whatever it takes, go wherever they have to go to stand right here so that they can see my face. But yet we're all in his presence, and we all feel his presence, but how many of us just get lost in his presence, but, and then how many of us are saying, where's the face of God? I want to see his face because the face completes the message, doesn't it? The face tells the rest, and so how do we know that we've seen the face of God? The Bible says that no man has seen the face of God and lived. So seeking and seeing the face of God is more symbolic than, than real, than physical. But I, I would think that if you want a, a physical description of the face of God, after church today, go out, gaze your eyes in the big light in the sky, and you might have an idea of what it might look like. But his face is going to be much brighter than that. The face of God, the Bible says, there's not even going to be a sun in heaven because God is going to be the light. He's so bright, he's going to light up the whole world uh, from the brightness of his glory. Uh, and so that's going to be a picture of how, how bright and the face of God is and the glory that he has. And so uh, when talking about the face of God, where it's not obviously going to be something physical because you'll never recover from that. I think Deuteronomy says no man has seen the face of God and lived, or seen God at any moment and lived. And so uh, seeking the face of God is going to be the thing that completes uh, what God is trying to work out in our lives. It, it takes us to the next level because uh, every single day uh, seeking his face will, will complete what he's trying to tell you. We, we've got the word of God and our devotion and, and that's great, but uh, what is the face of God also telling us? What messages is he showing on his face? But if we never seek out for his face, then we'll never really know, will we? And so how do I know how do we know when we've seen the face of God, proverbially? The best way that I think we can describe it is, you'll know. You'll know. There's, there's no uh, formula that I can say, do these three steps and, and you'll be right in front of the face of God. Uh, there's no way to, to put it down and say, here, here's the map and how to find the face of God. No, it's going to be different for every single person. But the Bible says he's not very far from every one of us. If we seek him with our whole heart, we'll find him. And so I guess that's the beginning of it is to seek God with your whole heart and give him all of you. And that's going to lead you closer to him because that's what God wants. He wants all of us. He wants our whole heart and you're not going to see God unless you give him everything. 
Musicians, if you would come. You see, you'll know, you'll know when you're in his presence. And you'll know when he's in talking distance. And you'll know when he's a lot closer than he's ever been. I can't, can't describe it to you. But if you seek after God, you'll, you know the differences. Sometimes you wake up and you're, you're praying and seeking after God. And sometimes it's just, it's hard. Sometimes your flesh or, or, or something is, is there trying to, to block you. But uh, you know when you break through and you know when you're getting closer to God and you feel the presence of God sweep over you. And so you can tell an active seeker is going to be able to tell the differences in his presence where he's far away or he's close to you, close enough to be in his presence. And so you'll know when you're that close to God. You'll know when you're near his face because you'll be changed, uh, your presence person will be changed. You'll be, become a, somebody different once you've been with God and we, you've been close to him. Because you can't get that close to God and walk out the same person. You can't get that close to, to, to glory and walk out the same way that you walked in. It's impossible. Why? You just got close a close contact with the creator of the heavens and the earth, the ones who spoke these worlds into existence, and you're going to tell me you got that close to God, you walked out, and nothing happened to you. You're going to tell me you got close to God, and you still have that attitude. You're going to tell me you spend time in prayer and, and you walk around and, and nobody wants to be around you. You would think it would be opposite, right? You would think if you got that close to God that some you're just gonna, your, your face is going to glow with the glory of God and people are going to be drawn to you. Why? Because you've been that close to God, but, but, but why, why are people avoiding you? Jacob was going to meet his brother Esau. And Esau noticed something different about him. What happened was Jacob was, he was walking differently. His hip was out of joint. He was physically different and uh, inwardly he was different. He had changed and it's because something happened to him. And Jacob tells him what happened. Genesis 33 and 10, and Jacob said, Nay, I, I pray thee, if, I, if now I have found grace in thy sight, then receive my present at hand, for therefore I have seen thy face, as though I have seen the face of God, and thou wast pleased with me. See, the night before, he got close to God. It wasn't that God was at the back of the room and he was up here and he felt some, you know, some little flutters and his hair started to stand it up. No, that night, Jacob got close to God. He, he wrestled with that angel and because of that encounter with God, he walked away. He was a different man after that. God changed his name from Jacob to Israel, from deceiver to a prince that has power with God. Why? Because you can't get that close to God and not be changed physically and spiritually and inwardly. And so if we're seeking his face, we're going to be changed. You can't see the face of God and still be the same person. 
still have a bad attitude or still have a sad, uh, down, depressed face or, or, or spirit about you because in the, in the spirit of the presence of God, there's freedom and there's liberty. And so whatever you may be carrying in there, if you're seeking after God and you find him, guess what? There's liberty there. There's freedom to lay everything down, to say, God, take all these burdens off of me. I'm casting them all upon you. And because you got that close to God, you'll walk out of here differently because you had seen the face of God. And so you're different. You're different when you've been with Jesus. Acts chapter 4 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, not because of how dumb they were. They already wrote, these guys are dumb. Unlearned and ignorant men. They marveled and took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Doesn't matter what your education pedigree is. What's going to change people's lives is if you've been with Jesus or not. If you've been close enough to him where you seek his face and you sought after him and you felt him in your life, he's going to do a changing in in your life because you're in his presence and you're that close and people are going to realize that, man, that person's been with God. Philippians 3 and 13, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. But this one thing that I do, one thing, forgetting those which are behind and reaching forth unto the things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You know what the mark is? You know what the the prize is? The prize is the face of God, being close to God. You press toward that. That one thing that I'm going to reach for is to, to be with him, that people know that he's been with Jesus. She's been with the Lord. If you need anything, you go to them because they have already been with God and they know how to get close to him. Another sign that you've been and seen the face of God is that you're not going to want to leave. Tell me that you get that close to God and you're like, sorry God, got to go. It's been fun. You're going to get that close to the creator that you're going to say, it's time time to go, Lord. My time is done. When you get that close to God, time just kind of disappears. All of a sudden, wow, it's been an hour. I can't, where did the time go? I don't understand. Well, I'll tell you why. Because you're close to God and, and he, he, he lives outside of time. And so uh, sometimes it may, it may be a struggle to get in. It may be a, take a while to get there. But once you break through, once you get in closer to God in the presence of God, now all of a sudden time doesn't matter anymore. You don't want to leave. You, you don't want to go back to reality and go back to your job. Or, or, or go back into your responsibilities. Why? Because I've been that close to God. I've seen the face of God and I don't want to leave. Can't tell me you prayed for three minutes and saw the face of God. Doesn't add up. Genesis 4.13. And Cain said unto the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Here's a, here's a murderer first murderer got the prize the first murderer and God gives out his punishment 
And he says, it's greater than I can bear. I can't even imagine living the rest of my life. It's, it's greater than I, can, than I can bear. What is what is his punishment? What was the thing that just wrecked Cain's life that was greater than he can ever imagine? Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid. When the, uh, the most unbearable part of a murderer's punishment is that he'll no longer see the face of God. Wow, a murderer was broken by that thought. And yet we have every opportunity to seek his face. We have every opportunity to seek the face of God. And yet a murderer did not want to leave. He couldn't bear the thought of not being able to see the face of God. And yet here, we're filled with his spirit. We've been baptized and be, being regenerated in him. And, and we're trying to walk after the spirit. But, but how often are we seeking the face of God? How often do we yearn to be closer to him and to be in his presence more than anything else? God, I don't care what the cost is. I, I want to see your face. I, I want to be there with you. I don't want to leave your presence. I, I want to be surrounded and, 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 and completely immersed by your presence. You get to that point. You don't want to leave. You don't want to stop praying. If you've seen his face, you won't want to leave. Another sign is that you'll want that. You'll want that one thing to be in his presence, to be that close to him. You'll want that more than anything else. Nothing else matters. The, the treasure that you go and sell everything for, you got to have that one thing. When you get that close to God and, and, and just see his face, nothing else matters in this life because that is the most important thing to you because i gotta, I got to seek him out. i got to find him. And today i got to wake up and where are you, Jesus? Uh, I'm looking for you today. I, I'm pursuing. I'm seeking after you because that one thing, your, your face and being in your presence is more precious than anything else. Be stand with me. King David, King David had everything that he could ever want. Being a king, you just speak the word and whatever it is you have. Whatever new car rolls out, guess what? You get the first one. Whatever, new, whatever house or whatever you want, whatever you want in this world. King David had access to and he probably had. And so his opinion really weighs a lot because he's experienced more than I have. And he's had, tasted everything. And so I wonder what King David says about everything. Wrap up life. Is there a one thing, David? You've tasted, you've had all the riches and wealth and Whatever, whatever you, whatever you wanted in this life, you've tasted everything possible from this earth. Every pleasure, all these things. So now that you have done all that, you've retained that, you've reached that level, David. Is there anything that you'd give up everything and say, I'm going to go after this one thing. Forsake all of those things. This one thing. Psalms 27 one thing 
have I desired of the Lord that I will seek his that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple you see his one thing was not to be in the house of God it was to be there to see his face he desired to be in the temple yeah because that's where his face is and so the one thing David the one thing out of everything I desire that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord in the choir of his temple for in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion in the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me he shall set me up upon a rock and now shall mine head be lifted above mine enemies round about me therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy I will sing yea I will sing praises unto the Lord hear O Lord when I cry with my voice have mercy also upon me and answer me when thou saidest seek my face my heart said unto thee, thy face, thy face will I seek. Hide not thy face from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God, of my salvation. Is there one thing that I can seek after that will change my life? Every single day, is there one thing? I'm here to tell you that it's the face of God. If you seek the face of God, I want to open up these altars today to those who want to put aside everything else and say, God, I, I need to seek your face. I need to get closer to you, God, than I have been before, God. I've, I've been satisfied with your presence, but God, where's your face at? Second Corinthians, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Come on, let's come and seek the face of God. Come seek his face. Nothing else matters. Time stands still in his presence. I lay everything down. Come on. The more I seek you. Oh, Lord, the one thing, God, that I need from you. The more I, I seek your 